Broadcasting from the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia to around the globe. You're listening to Shark Bite Biz, your exclusive place for business strategy, sales, marketing, and tech in the roaring 20s. And now, here's your host, David Strausser. You just arrived to the newest episode of Shark Bite Biz. I'm your glamorous host, David Strausser. This is your place to learn how to grow a business during complete global chaos. Today, we're going to wow you. First, though, remember, please download the Shark Bite Biz app on Android at the Google Play Store, where you can find every single episode of this show, both the audio version and the video versions right there in the app. Plus, you get all the bonus content there, too, that we come out with, like our Shark Bites, our YouTube Shorts, all those things right there. Again, Google Play Store, just look up Shark Bite Biz. You're going to love it. The best part about the app, though, <laughs> you can buy our fabulous coffee right there in the app. If you don't want to use the app to get the coffee, though, you know, the greatest coffee known on earth, you can head right on over to deadhousecoffee.com. Use code SHARK and you'll get 20% off your order. And we'll get all the proceeds to directly support us producing the biggest and the best show we possibly can. Now, let's get back to today's show. I just said the show was about us going to wow you, okay? What do I mean by that? I mean, how do you get to the shortest path to wow with your customers, with your products, with your clients, with your business? And we're going to talk about something that is kind of unique, which is falling in love. And I mean really falling in love with the problem. We got some pretty good stuff coming up from another TEDx speaker here today on Shark Bite Biz. So who do we have today? Mr. Simon Severino. Simon Severino is an author, CEO of Strategy Sprints, and host of the Strategy Sprints podcast. He has interviewed powerhouse entrepreneurs like Rita McGrath, David Allen, near Ayal, uh, uh, I might be pronouncing that wrong, Harry Marshall, Vern Harnish, Brian Kurtz, and hundreds more on business, productivity, and growth. He helps business owners in SaaS and services run their company more effectively, which results in sales that soars. He created the Strategy Sprints Method that doubles revenue in 90 days by getting odors out of the weeds. Simon leads a global team of certified strategy sprints coaches that help clients gain market share and work in weekly sprints, which result in fine execution. As a member of the SVBS, which is Silicon Valley Blockchain Society, he enables cross-stage capital flows and helps minimize execution risk in technology startups. His team is trusted by Google, Consilence Ventures, Roche, Amgen, and hundreds of frontier teams. He is a TEDx speaker and has appeared on over 500 podcasts. 
He writes for Forbes and Entrepreneur Magazine about scaling digital business. Hey, without further ado, let's bring Simon right on in here. Business strategy. Simon, welcome to Shark Bite Biz. You, my friend, you just became Shark Bait. Thank you for having me here. I'm excited. Oh, that's great. That's, you know, really fun to have you here. You're coming in from Vienna, you just said? Yes, Vienna, Austria. Ooh. Yeah, we love doing these international shows because our show's just grown so big. We're getting such a good platform. So we have a tradition on this show. Very first question. It's always the same for everybody, okay? What's your experience? What's your background? What have you done? What are you doing? What makes Simon Simon? I'm doing only one thing since 18 years, and that's helping teams with go-to-market. So I sit with the executive teams of of the coolest firms on the planet and help them structure their thinking and take decisions. And mostly the decisions we need to take are around which product is in which markets, when to launch, what to launch, how to launch, if to launch, and uh, how to help uh, the, the people they serve to solve the problems that they want to solve. That's what I do. Go to market coaching. 18 years only this. Wow. That is, uh, that's that's amazing. That sounds like a lot of fun, though, because uh, you're definitely working with a lot of cool tech companies, right? I do software companies and professional services, consultancies and um, agencies. You know, one of the things we do professional services with my day job, and it's kind of cool because it's one of those things to where if a customer can dream it, you know, we can build it for them with our platforms and our software. And it's really kind of cool and satisfying when you're in that type of a position, I think. To me, it's exactly at the intersection of art and science. And that's what keeps me absolutely interested. And I love doing this because, you know, there's the numerical side. Go to market is about market shares closed deals, size of the deals, how many deals in the pipeline, how many closed this week. That's the numerical part. But then there is the, the art part, how to enhance relationships in the B2B conversation, how to become a trusted partner, an educator, a challenger, somebody that brings value whenever we come together. How can we make that a moment that sparks magic and that creates value and solves problems that's cool oh yeah no it's great it's great and it's really funny that you you say that because literally up until this morning i didn't really think of art plus technology with the creative portion of what we did i mean i thought of it as creativity and stuff but not necessarily art up until this morning about two hours before we talked i'm like wow it is art and that's because they got that new show on uh, uh, Netflix about the people who created, uh, uh, what was it, TerraVision, which was essentially almost like, I guess, Google Maps before Google Maps was. And, uh, you know, their company, it's called the Billion Dollar Code. Their company was, uh, you know, I think it was called Art Plus Com for uh, art and technology, essentially, is what they were doing in the 90s. And it, it was really cool because watching this, it really kind of worked my mind to where for the first time, I, I kind of was really seeing art speak through technology, you know, from that aspect. It just, I don't know, I, it just like a little 
little shift to where I just started looking at things a little bit differently. Yes, to me, there is nothing that is really not art and science. If you, every craft, every human endeavor has a, a numerical side, a, techn a technical side, and a relationship side. It's always humans creating something for humans, solving something for humans. No street has ever been built uh, without humans. It's humans are building streets, solving problems, and creating wonderful things. Well, I mean, if you get back to ancient times, apparently aliens built it all. But uh, that's, an, that's a discussion for another podcast, right, Simon? <laughs> yes, there are better experts of that than me. <laughs> yeah, I want to get the guy that has poofy hair on here. Um, uh, I forget his name, but I'm trying to get a bod. The guy who says everything, it was aliens, you know? You've seen the meme probably. So one of the things you do is you work with tech uh, companies, professional service companies, and you work with go-to-market strategies. And one of your speaking topics that you had I, I really thought was pretty cool is how to shorten the path to wow. What can you explain that a little bit for us? Yes. So when you think of sales, most people think of the beginning of their relationship and how they can close. Now it should really not be called closing because it's an opening, it's it's an intensification. Really, it's, hey, let's commit to build something together. Let's put in some skin in the game. Both have risk and let's do something. Let's solve a problem or let's build something valuable. That's the beginning of the relationship. And that's a lot of effort and it costs. The cost of acquisition at the beginning are high. Now, if you think what happens then, then delivery and upsell, cross-sell, retainment, that has a much lower cost of acquisition, much lower effort. It's much easier to do. So what we help our clients do is create some really good retainment systems, upselling systems that increase the lifetime value of your clients, which is much cheaper to do. You don't need any marketing. You don't need any risky things. And it's easier to do. How can you systemize that? And the technique that we have developed is take your wow moment. Let's say you work with somebody for three months. In month two, in month three, there is this magic happening. Wow, I worked with these guys and then my costs went down 25% or my sales went up uh, 50%. That's the wow moment. Now... It's an easy exercise, but it changes everything. If you take that wow and you move it forward, what's the smallest thing we can build in the first seven days that has partially this wow in there? One example, a competitor of MailChimp had this situation, very competitive market, like email software is really competitive. Everybody needs email software right now. So, and many people are building it and MailChimp was already really, really good. Email Constant is better. really, really 
popular right now as well, too. I mean, we just had uh, a guest on Alea Harris, and that is really one of her specialties, you know, building email lists and getting people massive click-throughs. And, it, it, you know, she's telling us, like, hey, look at the data during COVID. Email is actually going up in popularity uh, again, whereas pre-COVID, it was going down. So, yeah, it's yeah. still here. And now, if you want to grab market shares from MailChimp, Mm-hmm. You gotta be creative because it's a good product. So how do you make it even better? They build something quite similar and have shortened the moment to wow. So the usual situation was, okay, client this year, wonderful, seven days trial, come in. Uh, now please upload your CSV files. Yeah. Client, gone. Because mm-hmm. 90% of the people, what is a CSV file? They hop to Google uh, to, to see what, what it is and how to upload it, and you lost them. Now, they changed it. I don't, I, I, that's the one wow. thing that drives me, drives me nuts. Sorry, that's one thing that drives me nuts. Whenever I say, hey, upload your, your CSV file, why don't you just say Excel? I mean, it's, a, it's an Excel file, really. I mean, what other program are you going to use to use Excel? I mean, you can give me 100 people, 99 of them are going to say, you know, either Excel or Google Docs with their spreadsheets, but it's a spreadsheet. Now you're thinking from the customer's viewpoint. The engineer thinks, so I need to find out who you want to send to, so upload the data. And the language that they use is that language. So if you flip it like you are doing and say, wait a moment, on the other side, what do they need to experience? And now we bring it together with our shorten the path to wow technique. You take what would happen in week three, bring it into day one. So what they did is skip the CSV part. Hey, welcome. Welcome to the seven days free trial. Let's do this. Let's create your first email. I see that you are selling flowers. Here are seven pictures of flowers. Pick your favorite. Now we have seven different fonts. Please pick a font. Here you have five examples of good emails. Pick one. What happened is this small business who was selling flowers after like 10 seconds had an experience. Wow. My email looks a professional brand. I have never felt so professional. That's the wow. That's what you want to have. And now comes an email that says, all right, we are on board with this. And the next four hours will be very painful. I'm going to ask you engineering stuff. You're going to hate it. But in the end of this, you will have this feeling of professional brand for months and years. Are you in? Is this worth 40 bucks a month? Let's do this. You know, that that's interesting that you say it like that because my listeners know my day job, uh, I do ERP for small businesses. And one of the things that I tell my customers is that, look, hey, Vision 33's job uh, is to make this as pain-free as possible. Doing an ERP implementation is kind of like a full-body transplant. It is very painful. It sounds it painful already. Frustrating. I don't even know what it is. Yeah, it yeah. <laughs> yeah. Business management software. So, you know, you run your whole business enterprise on one solid solution with like SAP. Um, we do SAP at uh, Sage. And 
you know, for us, it's like, it's extremely, extremely painful. Our job, our experience is try to make this the least amount of painful that we can. So that way, when it's over, you're like, wow, that really, really sucked. I do not want to do that again, but it was totally worth it. You know, that's the experience that we're trying to get out of our customers because we can't take all the pain away. You know, you're, you're transferring systems, getting things out, re-engineering your business processes. It's, it's going to be frustrating and you're going to have different departments or different uh, people competing for different specific process flows to give them the advantage of the business. And you've got to find a way to manage that, manage that all and just move the project forward so that you don't get stuck going around in circles. And you know, it is frustrating, but at the end of it, our job is to make it the least amount frustrating possible. Hmm, we got to so work on customers to get the value. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. But you didn't sell me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to see the software first. I can't sell you if you don't see the software. Mm, okay. Okay. Yeah. You see, the wow must come earlier. Otherwise, yeah, you, you lose people. You have seven well, that's seconds. The thing, though. They Usually, they I have call. that. I have that discussion. We have that discussion after they've already seen the software. They already know how it's going to address their needs. Now we're setting the expectations up. Okay, well, what is it? Because now you're kind of going through your your rebuttal phases of the sales cycle. Well, how long is it going to take to implement this? How hard is it going to do? So that's where we kind of. You know, they're already sold on the solution, but we're trying to get over the last few speed bumps by showing them the value that we bring and why they need to choose us as their partner. Does that make sense now, looking at it at a whole? The sooner the wow, the better, especially because now you are in a warm position. You know them already. There is a relationship. And then you, you might have a couple more seconds. But in a cold relationship, at the very beginning, they don't know you. They go seven seconds on your website. We need a wow there. And so in that, in that example, it was the same thing. I help you draft emails. But they managed to bring the wow to the front. And that's what we do with our clients. So we map out the customer journey. It takes half an hour to map out really the customer journey and then simplify it and say, what is the wow? Where does it happen? And how can we make this experience as soon as possible, even if it's just a fraction of the experience, but they need to touch the magic. When they touch your magic and they are the right person with the right problem, they will stay around. And are there any boundaries around touching someone's magic? You no, know, your magic is that you 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 systemize their business, you re-engineer their, their processes. That's the magic. But so how does it feel? What is that magic? That magic is, I guess, from, from listening to you, that after we have gone through all these questions and, uh, and technical shifts, that I have now one place with all my core processes and everybody has access to it. And I can go on holidays for four weeks and the business source. That's magic. That's your magic. And on the website, I want to see this in the first seven seconds. And I want an, an image about that. And if you say ERP, I'm off your website. But if you say 
your business will soar while you are on holidays and we know how to systemize this stuff under the hood yeah erp does scare people i can i can verify that you know especially you start hearing names like sap they're like you know sap is too big for us never again everybody who's touched it oh my god yeah yeah yeah, yeah, exactly i will mention before we change topics the last time i was wowed was just looking at that pile of books that tower of books behind you that is amazing yep Real that is good stuff, Simon. But uh, so another one of your, your talking points is just having people fall in love with, with the problem. Now, falling in love with the problem, is that coming from the engineering side to find solutions? Or I, I guess it wouldn't make sense to have the customer fall in love with the problem, right? Or what? Think of, let's say you solve this problem of... Um, that, for example, mothers have limited time. And so your solution is a calendar for them. Now, if you fall in love with the problem, meaning that mothers have always limited time, you will bring value for mothers for the next 100 years because it will always be the same. But your solution, if it's a paper calendar, will become a digital calendar and later maybe an NFT or whatever, or it's in their glasses or it's just transplanted into their uh, head. So the technical solution will change every couple of years and decades, but the problem will stay the same. So if you stick to the problem, you are de-risked. If you stick to the target group and to their problem and and you, you stick to serving this problem solution, you are de-risked. For example, today, uh, right now, I, I have five interviews, but between these five interviews, I want to shop uh, old coins because they are down 7%. So they might be down 8% when we are done, and I will go and buy the dip. So if I just fall in love because as a CEO, I need to think about treasury and how to uh, have assets that appreciate and not depreciate. And it's not that easy to do. So if you fall in love with the solution, then you say, okay, let's put them into Tesla. Uh, Well, sometimes Tesla will go up and sometimes not. But if you fall in love with the problem, the problem is find me an appreciating asset then every problem out there I can fall in love with. Whenever markets go down, I say, cool, it's a shopping day. You see, a problem becomes just a small project. And that's the mindset that is helpful for entrepreneurs because every day will be full of problems. That's the definition of what we do. And that, that's what, what, what makes us really awake and passionate because we are here to solve problems yeah so how do you use that between the shortening the path to wow and falling in love with the problem how do you use that then to double revenue in the next 90 days especially for some of these smaller businesses that uh are just starting to really grow and you know expand their wings and fly. Yes, so we work with the business owner plus one person from operations, one from marketing, one from sales, and we do one-to-one coachings. They the cycle is three months, and in month one we 
free up their time. We need to free up 10 to 14 hours of their time per week. Otherwise, they are just stuck in the weeds. You know, they're doing product and doing what needs to be done. So we, we need to pull them out of the weeds by systemizing. That's business processes like you do. So what is the core process? What can we automate, cut, delegate, systemize? And so we get the, the owners, the founders out of the weeds. And now we start working with them on the customer journey, on form, fit, and function of the sales system, and on making the sales system repeatable and reliable. That's month two. And there are three specific things that we do. Increasing the frequency of the sales by 25%, increasing the conversion rate by 25%, and increasing the price by 25%. You do these three things, you have increased revenue by 99%. Now you have people who have more time and you have more cash flow in the system. So after 90 days, this team is aligned, is happy, is not overworked anymore. And... Um, and leaves a great testimonial. That's what we do. Three months. Three months in and out. You're done. So with all the businesses you you've worked with, I mean, you have come up with three different uh, CEO habits that you kind of have seen that run across a lot of different CEOs. I imagine it, it's what would you say that it's three things that all of them most have in common, or what exactly? This is really relevant. When outside everything's changing, what is it that you really can control? Because it's just 5%. 95% is not in your control. 5% is in your control. And what are these 5%? I would say it's the daily habit, weekly habit, and monthly habit. Daily habit, we have people write down how they allocate their time today. And so it says... Six o'clock, I'm running. Seven, I'm having breakfast with my kids. Eight, I'm writing 600 pages. Uh, 11 o'clock, I have my sales team meeting. And in the evening, five minutes of reflective questions. Question one, which of the things that I did today will tomorrow be delegated to somebody else? Question two, if I would live more freely and more intentionally, what would I do tomorrow? With these reflective questions, and now you start writing the flow of tomorrow, triggered by that. And now you can really close the day and let it go. And when you come to your desk uh, tomorrow, you will have the flow of your day that you have calmly created. And now you have a probably a better day than if you don't do it. That's the daily habit. The weekly habit. planning is so so important, though. I mean, on a daily basis, that's something that Evie on this show we've heard from many successful entrepreneurs as far as having a daily plan. In addition to the daily plan, uh, you know, just having a routine, you know, and the routine also consists of planning as well for your next day because otherwise you're just kind of sitting there twiddling your thumbs and dealing with the hot potato instead of kind of dictating the terms of your day and what you need to accomplish exactly and there is a even a buffer for hot potatoes because they, they will come up somebody will leave your team some part will break somebody will be pissed and it's okay so in the afternoon uh, there will be hot potatoes and uh, have that buffer time. I have something 
that is just reflective or conceptive with myself that I can move around because there is always something coming up. But it will be the afternoon. In the morning, nothing will keep me from focused value creation. Three, four hours of deep work, nothing can touch that in the morning. Afternoon, yes. And so because that's the flow of my day, whatever the flow of your day is, create that and um, stick to it every day and learn from it. The weekly habit is get your key numbers every seven days reported. Marketing numbers, operations numbers, and sales numbers. Most people don't have that. They wait for one month to get this, but you don't take decisions every month, right? You, when do you take decisions? Kind of every day. So you need your information Right now, you need information in the moment where you take decision. Otherwise, what do you base your decision on? Right, right. So that's actually one of the biggest things that, um, you know, customers get from working with me, my team, our company, uh, you know, is that we, that's the benefit of ERP. You put off the you know you put have all those things your sales orders your ar your ap your gl even you have everything inventory levels how much money am i owed how many sales i have what's our pipeline you have that all in one system and it takes all that raw data and it will transform it into actionable business intelligence and that's why a lot of companies end up going to a system like an SAP system or Sage or whoever they go with, Microsoft even, is because of those, that very reason, you know, they, they want to know like, hey, what's my KPIs, my key performance indicators? And, you know, for the most part, yeah, they're going to vary a little bit per business, per industry, but they're usually, you know, around around the same with a little bit of tweaks, you know, and you're able to see that kind of data at your fingertips. And I think it's critical. First, assess. I mean, how what what kind of business owner? I guess what what I want to say is, it's hard to make decisions off of old data. You know, even if that data is just a week old, I mean, your business hasn't stopped for a week. You know, most businesses these days in a global market are probably going to be 24 um, seven or maybe it's just a small little local regional business and it's an eight or 10 hour, 12 hour type of uh, uh, business. But it still has evolved. Things have changed since the last time that cycle run and having that instant analytics and that instant data that instant business intelligence is very powerful and it empowers the management team and empowers your employees and empowers the owner to where they can make good decisions because they have the actual data to support those decisions. Does that make sense? Every seven days, three marketing numbers, three sales numbers, three ops numbers. You want the weak signals because when you get the data, it's too late. You want the weak signal. You want to see why is this up by two? by 2%. What did we do differently this week? Was it the product? Was it the process? Was it the person? Let's learn from this. And then there is the monthly habit. Monthly habit, you do your strategy. Now you, you really look at the big picture. Are we going into the right direction at the right pace? Is the pace of growth 2%, 12%, 25%? 
Is it what we want? And is it going in the right direction? Because you can grow in the wrong direction. And then the worst thing that you can do is to run really, really fast sprint in the wrong direction. So is their direction right? And is the pace right? And how about our confidence? Are we 100% sure? Everybody here in the team. Are we 100% sure that we are the right team? to solve the right thing at the right price for the right people at the right place. If all of them, if every team member says yes, 100%, then we tick the boxes off, done, half an hour strategy session. Now let's go to operations again. If one of us is below 100%, we stop and that is the only conversation to have now. Why do you think... Uh, are we below 100%? Is it uh, wrong product, wrong, wrong price, wrong point where we, where we catch the people? So what is it? Because our confidence will have a, a delay. So if I am 60% confident, how much can I get across onto your side? Maybe 40%? And then that's not enough. Right, right. Understood. So we have time for probably about one more quick question here. And uh, something else that I saw on your profile that really stood out to me is you have maximized your ROL, return on luck. That is probably the first time I've, uh, I've seen that, you know, everybody knows ROI, you know, but we turn on luck. Explain that to us. After 18 years of seeing numbers and benchmarks, I do not believe in any of them. The only thing that I see working is luck and preparing the field for luck. So how do you prepare the field for luck? It's just 5%. Again, the controllables are only 5%. And what are the 5%? Teams who nail it, and who grow fast, they have a way of quickly experimenting assumptions. So for example, we think, oh, we should do this. All right, how quickly do we go from talking about it to building it, measuring it, and learning from it? If you see successful teams, they start many things, they do it for a short period of time, they measure quickly, and then they pivot. They say, okay, the assumption was wrong. We project stopped. And so good teams have a long list of experiments that went wrong. They tried 50 things in a very short period of time, for example, with, with sprint methodologies or lean methodologies uh, or agile methodologies. They have tested them very quickly. And out of 50 experiments, one is the winning one. And then they focus everything on this one and improve it every week. That's the ROL. That's how you prepare for return on luck by having a structured way of doing parallel multiple experiments. And that raises the probability that you find one winning thing. Yeah, no, that is a, that's a good way to look at things because... You know, there's two sides of looking at luck in business. Some people, nope, there's no luck. It's all your hard work. Other people, it's like, yeah, luck does pay, you know, play a little bit into your success. And for me personally, 
I would like to say as much as I've planned that I've worked hard, I mean, I've also got lucky too. Now, when I've got lucky though, it was always happy-go-lucky type luck where I wasn't really expecting with it, but I seized the opportunity and just ran with it. And, you know, now that you brought this up, I'm thinking if I seize those opportunities to the fullest, if I kind of planned on having that luck, I mean, could things have even been better for me in the past? Is that the right way of thinking about it? Am I understanding you correctly? Exactly. In the end, it's out of your control, but you are prepared. You are ready to be ready when luck happens. And this is how you prepare the field for luck. For example, uh, I was lucky to, to have a TEDx talk. I was asked to have a TEDx talk, and that was my big dream, and I, it was lucky. But if you look back, uh, three years before I had started writing my newsletter in English in a time where everybody would write in their local language. And I went, hey, no, why? Why should I stop talking at the end of my country? I, I don't see why. The, let's talk to the world. So, of course, there, there have been many small behaviors that made me ready to deliver a TEDx talk. But at the end, it's luck if you get asked or not, right? Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. But, you know, you were planning for that luck, as you stated. So, hey, this has been an amazing, informative chat. Thank you so much for coming on here, Simon. Let me ask you, how can people digitally stalk you online? And where can we find your book, Strategy Sprints? We hang out at strategysprints.com. And this okay. is where you find everything. Our tools, our open source, our latest books are there. And um, our insights are published there, strategysprints.com. Perfect, perfect. We'll definitely have the link down below in the description, whether you're on YouTube or you're listening on iTunes. Look at the description, see the link down below, give it a click, check out Simon and his strategy sprint. Simon, thank you so much for coming on here. You survived being truck bait, man. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, everybody. Keep rolling. Yep. Cheers. Wow. That was such a credible chat with Simon, right? First, hey, listen to the end of this outro segment right here. I got a huge surprise for y'all today. First, though, you all know the routine. If you found this interview helpful, if it sparked those warm and fuzzies, do me a favor, hit that like button, smash that subscribe button. And if you really want to help us out, because you know Shark Bite Biz is the greatest kept secret in the world of business, please do us a favor. Share us out to your network, your friends, your colleagues. Get us out there, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Basically, wherever you dwell on the interwebs, get us out there, share us. That is the fastest way to help us grow. Now, let's get back to our rock star guest, Mr. Simon. He, you know, Simon gave us so much to think about during the interview. First, that was an impressive stack of books behind him, wasn't it? Did you see that? If you were watching on YouTube, he had a huge stack of books. Imagine playing Django with that. That would be so fun, right? Now, let's get back to the to the real stuff, okay? You may think what Simon was saying was a little bit optimistic, let's say. Okay, doubling revenue in 90 days. I hear you, and I've got to admit, 
I'm a little bit of a skeptic as well. But at the heart of what he was saying is something I believe to the core. Owners should not be in the weeds. Many of the companies that he works with, the owners are still working as if they were the employees. Owners need to own, meaning manage. Owners should have an active role in the business. You don't want to be that, you know, fat cat owner just collecting the dough while the employees are out there doing everything and you just collect the paycheck. No, you want to be an active, an active owner in the business, but delegate the tasks to the people that you hired that the owners hired and let them carry that out. If you can't trust them to carry it out or to the level that you need them to, then you are losing money and you probably have the wrong people working on your team. So for many smaller companies, yeah, I guess it could be true that if you were the owner and you got out of the weeds being a smaller company, yeah, focusing your efforts on driving the department heads instead of coding something yourself, the company, well, first off, the company would definitely be more productive. But overall, you could potentially double your revenue in 90 days. There's a lot of scenarios that that you know, could work for, especially in the startup, smaller industry for a much larger multinational corporation or a 500 employee company. That's where, you know, you want to have your VPs, your department heads reporting to you and doing that instead of you going out there doing the work yourself. Now, another part of the discussion I really liked with Simon, and I found this really interesting, was Shortening the path to wow, okay? From what I understood, you know, shortening the path to wow pretty much speaks about once you have your wow moment with your client, meaning once you've impressed your customer, the floodgates usually open up and your client is willing to buy much more off you. So how do you shorten that path to that wow moment. Why wait months down the road to get additional revenue that you always know you're going to get? It happens every single time that, hey, three months after they buy, they end up adding this, this, and this. Why wait those additional three months, okay? Now, I think he's a little aggressive with his timeline. He said seven days, and that works in some industries. Other industries, it won't. I guess you could take say that's a per-industry thing. But getting them that wow experience with an MVP or a minimal viable product as soon as possible is pretty important. I mean, here at Vision 33, we've realized that. We want our customers to get value on their, on their projects. So we have put a big, big, big focus on pace and pace metrics, pace metrics to make sure that we're doing our implementations as quick, as efficient as possible so that the customer can start getting an ROI as soon as possible with Vision 33. So how you do that with your company is always going to be different. You know, the point is, is 
tried to impress them even during your onboarding process, which is something that we had a whole episode on uh, with Jeff Epstein of Onboard.io. I think it was episode 124, but that's very important. That whole process, bringing them on that first seven days, you know, is critical in trying to upsell them and get them to spend more with you. So, hey, awesome stuff, Simon. Thank you so much for coming on. Please make sure you check out his business. Also, check out his podcast, Strategy Points, Question of the Day. And here's that surprise I told you all about. The first three people that tag me on Twitter, okay, at DStrauser83 and at SharkBiteBiz. You've got to have both. But the very first three people, and I picked Twitter because most people have it, and this way it's fully transparent. But the first three fans out there that do this will get from me your very own Shark Bite Biz Tumblr, brand new one. This one's used. This is mine. Okay, you'll get a brand new one of these absolutely free, no cost for you, no shipping cost. I will be personally mailing it out to you. But here's the catch. I'm also going to pound you a bag of coffee, a one pound bag of your favorite coffee from deadhousecoffee.com. There's two ways we could do that. I'll either just ship you whatever you want, or you can go to the site and pick what you want with a special code. We'll figure it out. But first three people tag me on Twitter at DStrasser83 and at SharkBiteBiz. You should be able to see my Twitter handles right down below on the screen. You know, you get the coffee tumbler for free. You'll also get a free pound of coffee to enjoy with it. Uh, I can't wait to see you win it. And I definitely want to see some pictures on social media with the tumblers and the coffee. So, hey, you want to be a guest on the show? You know how to do it. Interviews at sharkbitebiz.com. If you're watching us on YouTube, please don't forget to join the channel. It's $3 a month. You can become a baby shark. Also, as I just mentioned, don't forget about deadhousecoffee.com. Go there, buy coffee, or like I said, win coffee on Twitter with a tweet, okay? But buy coffee, use code SHARK, you'll get 20% off of your order. All the proceeds help make this show happen. So please help support us, deadhousecoffee.com. Once again, you all know this, but I'm David Strasser. This is Shark Bite Fizz, and we'll see you all next episode. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Shark Bite Biz. We hope you got some insightful info from this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and visit us on the web at www.sharkbitebiz.com. How has business changed for you in the 20s? Email us at podcast at sharkbitebiz.com so you can join us and share your story. Thank you.